you can name And the best game you can name Is the good old hockey game This is your time Okay, guys, show us what you got I'm feeling generous today so I'm gonna let you get your side vanilla booty out of here before we be using your eyeballs as hockey pucks. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. It is Monday, May 23rd, and we are in for a special treat today. I'm here with our my co-host, John. Hey, folks. Hello, hello. And uh, Quinn is saving the world today, so he won't be joining us too, but we're uh, having a very special uh, episode tonight too. We're going to focus on hockey movies too so you might have heard them might have seen them but us canadians you know we're big on our hockey so picked a whole bunch of them from the vault some famous ones Mm -hmm. some you probably haven't heard of or some you may not have heard of too so we'll spend the next uh, hour or two talking about that tonight um and yeah we have kind of a new format too as we talked about last week too we're going to talk about um what we added to our watch list and what we watched to at the beginning rather than at the end too so to kick things off what did you uh add to your watch list john yeah, sure. So there's th- three movies that I've added uh, recently that I'm interested in checking out. Uh, one of them is called Madeline's Madeline from 2018, uh, directed by, I believe, Josephine Baker, who uh, was the director behind the film Shirley, which I watched last year. And I actually really enjoyed that movie. I know that movie for some people was kind of polarizing, but oh, yeah, she was uh, that fucking awkward. Was eh? <laughs> of, yeah, that movie was looking at kind of the bi- biography of, 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 of Shirley Jackson, but not it's not totally like a true biopic. It was a little bit fictionalized and, and Elizabeth Moss was really great in that role. So I've heard really good things about this one, uh, which came out uh, a few years earlier, kind of put her on the map. So this one I've added to my list and I'm looking forward uh, to checking out. Uh, The second one that's on my watch list, um, a horror film. I actually mixed this up with like I think there's one like The Exorcism of Emily Rose I always mix those two movies up I yeah, didn't watch that always one have this is one I've added yeah this one is called The Autopsy of Jane Doe which came out in 2010 um, I, I know this one um, is looking at like I, I believe an autopsy of like a, I believe a dead woman and like weird strange things starts happening I heard a lot of people in like horror communities talk about mention this movie as being a really good horror kind of like a good mainstream horror mainstream Hollywood horror so I'm I've always find some of the especially nowadays like a lot of the big horrors that aren't coming out of hollywood like the a24 stuff or the indie stuff is what gets most of the the big buzz but i'm always down for kind of a good uh, studio horror so i'm going to check that one out and and the last one that i've added recently on my on my watch list is a film uh the americanization of emily which came out in 1964 uh starring uh, julie andrews um in this film this film's interesting because it came out in 1964 for it's a film about uh, a soldier on d-day who's like I, I believe he meets this young english woman and kind of falls in love with her at the same time he's trying to avoid this like dangerous d-day mission kind of being organized by a sort of like deranged admiral and it's sort of like a very anti-war film uh, kind of releasing during kind of the early days of the vietnam war so i've heard i've heard some good things about that and i'm very excited to check that that one out that's so kind of an interesting period gonna, too yeah because that's a period of where you know you have a lot of after post-world war ii you get a lot of the americanization you know across the globe too and especially you know proliferating into asia southeast asia during that vietnam war too so that'd be kind of interesting yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about yourself, Curtis? I've got a couple lined up too. So I was doing a lot. Of, I'm working on a uh, Stephen King book chapter for publication on um, vampire right. priests and cult messiahs and uh, what else? What's the third one? Satanic ritual abuse. <laughs> so I've been uh, doing a lot of research on cults, and I wanted to watch a good documentary that looked at uh, the Waco siege from 1993, where the uh, FBI raided the uh, um, Stevenson Davidian branch or whatever the hell it was called. Branch Davidians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the religious cult. Um, and this one is actually supposed to be really good too. And it's kind of 
I'm always kind of interested in cults and kind of religious fanaticism too. So, but I think this is a very thoughtful uh, one too. It doesn't, you know, glorify or exploit any of the victims, which is good too. And um, yeah, I want to watch, uh, I, I started watching it a while back, David Cronenberg's The Dead Ringers too with Jeremy Irons. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, so I actually haven't watched the full thing, but I noticed it was on Shutter, so I want to rewatch that. I, I was on Tubi for long, long. yeah, I've been on there in a while and I saw this kind of looks probably awful, but I think Asia Argento is in it and I love her. So I think it's called The Church from 1989. Never heard of it. Probably oh, cool. shit, but <laughs> might be fun. I love Tubi. You know, Tubi shout out. Spots of the podcast if you want. You yeah, have weird stuff on Tubi, there sometimes. Tubi's got some great stuff too. And if you have an ad blocker too, you can kind of like get by without, you know, like the catch is that you can watch everything for free, but you have to watch the ads. But if you have an ad blocker, you can skip all the ads too. So hey, you block words, maybe. <laughs> I love three minutes of yogurt commercials personally <laughs> when I'm trying to watch Night of the Hunter. You know, that's that's my thing. Yeah, man. Um, you that's can cool. Have you, uh, yeah. you can have your yogurt fix when you watch your late night movies. You know? <laughs> so maybe it's a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> Nice on the Cronenberg snake. I know he's getting a lot of buzz because uh, it's can right now. It's can season in his new film, uh, Crimes of the Century, just, I think, dropped at can. Well, I, I really don't watch it. I heard it's gross. Really soon. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. It's, I've seen some early polarizing reviews, but I'm always down for something weird and strange uh, of, of kind of dubious quality regardless. So I'm sure it's, it'll it's be just nice to see him come back to the body horror, too. And I mean, I liked yeah, I like his son's. Um, what was it called? The, the body horror his son did recently. Possession. That, that was almost possessor. like possessor. That was almost like too much. But I mean, just uh, it's nice to have more more uh, attention to the body horror yeah. again. Too, I kind of missed and, it. <laughs> and possessor was like an underrated Toronto movie. Like I always like Cronenberg too. Like in, in his son is kind of doing that too. It's like his movies so feel so Canadian. I mean, obviously the yeah filmed in Canada, but a lot of a lot of most movies are filmed in Canada. But a lot of them don't actually distinctively feel Canadian or kind of show a certain side of a city and like you watch possessor and it's like, this is Toronto. Like it feels like Toronto when you watch it. It's like, uh, I, I like, I like seeing that in a, in a film and it's, you know, not so common, a lot of like older films and stuff, but it's kind of cool to see that uh, kind of emerging more. Kind of charming to think that they brought Sean Bean to tr- Toronto too. And he, he's such like a Gordon <laughs> Ramsay character in that one, isn't he? <laughs> oh um, yeah, man. No, <laughs> he's a piece of shit. And I, I usually sympathize with them, but not in that movie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the other one I want to watch, I'm, I'm kind of excited. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to doing a, an episode on video nasties, which as you recall from last yeah. week too, it's the uh, a series of films from the eighties uh, that the uh, kind of conservative UK censorship board decided to uh, mm. ban too. And, you know, a lot of them are pretty tame by today's standards. Some of them are pretty fucking yeah, gross. Some of them are lengthy. I watched <laughs> yeah. one this morning. I watched, uh, did. <laughs> I watched blood feast, but I'm going to talk about that oh. on that episode. I don't want to talk about it today. Yeah. There's lots to talk about. Well, I heard there's a really good zombie one too. So I'm trying to find the, good ones i found the let sleeping corpses lie and then there's this other one called the i just found them on youtube so uh beast in heat which is this kind of yeah uh nazi playtation film which is probably awful but i don't really like those films usually but i'm kind of just, yeah like i, I, I have a sadistic no curiosity. To, <laughs> yeah no offense to vinegar syndrome but i find a lot of their filmography just i have no interest in watching those films you mm. know shout out to the people who do i know they do good work in like restoration and especially like recent stuff like new york ninjas like that the whole story behind that film is so cool but uh, i just find a lot of these films that are getting you know discovered and restored and sold in like $50 Blu-rays they're just terrible not really nice some, some of the, yeah some of that trauma stuff can lie at the bottom of the barrel too I mean like yeah, a yeah. lot of it's worth uh bringing to the surface again you know the turds to hey, the surface something for everyone I guess <laughs> yeah something for everyone yeah but uh yeah so we got a lot of kind of watch list editions this week too and we also watched a lot this week too so um yeah John you've been uh diving further and further into the uh, the game of thrones too so what did you what did you watch this week <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I just said I watched the uh, Blood Feast this morning, but I'm going to really want to yeah. save that for their our discussion on the nasties. I'm trying to kind of watch a few of them, and I've seen a few of those before, like the Evil Dead, the the big ones, obviously. But I want to watch some of the kind of lesser known ones uh, leading up to that. But yeah, this week I did watch. I uh, finished season five of Game of Thrones. Uh, notable season because, as I mentioned, I had watched Game of Thrones. My uh, fiance hadn't, so we've been kind of re- I, for me. It's a rewatch for her. It's a brand new watch. But I actually during the original run, I stopped watching Game of Thrones. During season five, it was actually basically, I think it was after episode three or four, I stopped. And um, so now I'm kind of past the point where I'm now watching new stuff. And um, it's enjoyable, but I can kind of see why I also stopped watching it because frankly, I think the plot kind of becomes a little contrived a bit in season five, but uh, it's still a lot of fun. I mean, it looks great. And uh, what a bleak ending in that finale. Like I know it's, it's no red ending, but it's, it's kind of like the empire strikes back of the series. It's like, everyone is pretty well, except I think for like Tyrion, like everyone's in like a kind of a shittier position than they were. And it's, it has like kind of a shocking moment at the end, um, which I don't want to spoil because you know, uh, that might be relevant in the next season, which I'll talk about next time. But uh, yeah, I'm really yeah, excited. I think season five. I'm, I'm really excited for you yeah. to watch season six too, because I think that was actually my favorite, which is probably not a popular opinion, but I just I think it's so good. <laughs> yeah, but season five is fun. Like it has some good good moments. I know people don't like the Sand Snake stuff as much, but uh, mm-hmm. I do kind of like the introduction of the High Sparrow character. And I mean, um, I do know what happens in the show because I, you know, that was the water cooler talk every week when it came out. So even though I stopped watching, I. I knew every week what was going on. Um, I, I do think like, I, I think the, the the High Sparrow kind of plot line, the idea of this kind of like fanatic kind of like, you know, cult that arises, you know, religious institution that kind of arises in the city during a time of strife and war and poverty and and kind of becoming this like being led by this person who's almost this wants to create this like uh, theological empire or something. It's, it's kind of interesting. I always thought that that sort of storyline um, you know, after kind of going, looking back now on season five, now I'm almost at the end of season six. I'm kind of like, I wish there was more to that, but I really kind of find that angle kind of interesting. So as mentioned, I'm almost at season six now. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that next week, but uh, watched a couple of films as well too. Um, this one's been on my watch list for a while. I've been kind of catching up on another podcast and this was mentioned. So I watched the uh, 1967 kind of early exploitation film uh, by the great Jack Hill, who's sort of one of the godfathers of of the exploitation genre he famously discovered pam greer and did like coffee and i think foxy brown and did like a bunch of other um kind of black exploitation films but this is one of his earlier efforts uh called spider baby uh which came out in 1967 um going into this um i had kind of heard it was sort of like a mashup kind of like a twisted adams family monster story also a little bit of like freaks like it definitely has that kind of uh, characterization and feeling of freaks like that that kind of subversiveness it's about um this sort of a small family in this this house um, who the caretaker who's played by uh, the great Lon Chaney who famously played the Wolfman he's a veteran of a kind of universal monster era of the early uh, 20th century he's in this is sort of like their caretaker this family that has this sort of affliction or disease which basically caused them to become like infantile and and kind of prone to violence and there's this like long lost relative who's coming in with like a lawyer and they're trying to basically get the estate and it, it's basically the plot of like Adam's family part the first Adam's family movie or something like that like it, it's a very similar feeling um, it's certainly like watching it it's really cool because it's you know if this came out like 10 years later it would be like a very bloody sexy like exploitation like pure exploitation film it's it has a lot of the feeling of something like uh you know uh the house on Han- sorry the uh, the last house on the left or or any of like the west craven um or even some like a toby hooper film it has that 70s kind of grind to it but it's it's an early version of that and, and watching it i mean i was actually i enjoyed it quite a bit i thought it was like um 
it's pretty short and straightforward, good performances, and uh, generally kind of um, interesting narrative. I mean, you have these kind of freak show type characters, but the film isn't really like punching down on them. There's actually a little bit of kind of empathy given to them. You know, there's these kind of, you know, uh, you know, people who are affected by mental illness and like, you know, they're 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 doing terrible things, but the film kind of gives makes you feel a little bit bad for them. You know, they're not really being well taken care of and they're kind of being abused and, and victimized. So. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so if you see it, I think it's on, I think I saw it on Tubi. So it's on one of those free services. So Spider Baby was a really cool, fun little 60s yes, gem. Really Spider Baby. <laughs> and then uh, uh, this weekend, uh, of course, David Lynch has been uh, showing the 4K restoration of Inland Empire. It's like theaters. I had a chance <laughs> to go see it Saturday. I've actually never seen Inland Empire before, um, although I've heard it hyped up endlessly uh, it's kind of hard to really talk about this movie in like a short window because i had just seen it for the first time and if you know anything about david lynch's filmography inland empire is probably considered the most kind of obtuse and odd and weirdest of his films um i actually find a lot of ways to be kind of almost like a spiritual sequel to uh, maholland drive it's sort of dealing with similar themes you know laura dern stars as this young actress who finds out the movie that she's involved in was actually this sort of like cursed polish production that never got to air and uh, strange things starts to happen her her life starts to her mind and life starts to unravel and it it feels a lot like maholland drive where it's like the first 30 minutes is kind of narratively straightforward and then it's just a pure descent into hell although it has like a strangely optimistic i don't want to spoil the ending too much but it i would say like out of all the lynches like i i actually came out of it like so happy and beaming and there's just <laughs> so much dread and tension and of course famous like lynch um wrote this movie he also shot it himself all on camcorder uh which is interesting because this came out like a year before the iphone and i feel like we've only now started to get a lot more movies that look like this obviously the camera quality's improved but i mean this is shot steady like on a handheld like camcorder and it looks so cool it's shot digitally um it, it's just it I, you know it's, i haven't seen any movies like since that really kind of look like this shot this way and it it allows him to do a lot of really like intense close-ups and then really play with kind of your 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 field of vision and stuff and it makes for some really great um interesting moments and i think uh for a 4k restoration i mean it, it looked pretty good to me i i think i heard a lot of people said they saw it before and they didn't notice much of a difference but i, I thought it looked great and you know watching it for the first time um it was just i was so in, enraptured by it it's a long movie though it's like a good two and a half hours so and it yeah. felt like it was like a three and a half hour there's movie, a so. longer cut too isn't there like where he just is like, it's like three hours or something Oh, probably. I think yeah. so. But uh, yeah, I had a, I had a great time with it. I'll probably like want to talk about it more when we eventually do our like Lynch watch series and um, talk about each movie in detail, because like it was only my first time. And like for a movie that weird and strange, there's just so much overload. I don't really find Lynch to be that weird or hard to understand. Like, I think he said himself that like his movies, he sometimes makes movies that are strange or weird or kind of don't fit and operate in like a linear fashion, but it's all about kind of the emotional and experience you get out of watching it. And I feel like you get that watching this movie. It's like, you get a very clear kind of emotional experience watching I it. I think so too. If um, you have so, like a Freudian kind of background to a lot of times you can kind of really have a different interpretations. I think for a lot of the psychological layers to the film too, I think, especially something like Blue yeah. Velvet. <laughs> yeah. So like coming back to, I'm excited to come back to it, but yeah, one of my favorites for sure. I don't know if I would rank it as high as Blue Velvet or something like that, or even Mulholland Drive, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely probably as visually his most interesting mm -hmm. film for sure. Um, that was about it for me. What did you watch, uh, Curtis? I watched a couple ones. So I finally got around to watching the Northman's friend of mine sent me a copy. Um, mm. I thought it was okay. I, I mean, I, I love The Witch. Uh, I thought The Lighthouse was okay. Um, but this one, I don't know, like, it visually was stunning, too. But I, I didn't really yeah. know where he was going with the plot, too. Like, I loved, like, 
Anya Taylor-Joy, obviously. And uh, Willem Dafoe, for me, I, I'll watch Willem Dafoe in anything, too. And there's that scene where he's kind of, like, babbling on. He's the fool, right? And I was like, man, yeah. I, I could just watch get stoned and watch, like, a screen of Willem Dafoe talking for, like, an hour. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I don't know. The plot, I felt kind of dragged. And uh, I don't know. I, I have a lot of friends in the Scandinavian department, too. I don't know what they think yet, too, but I've kind of encouraged them to watch it, too. I think I'm more of a... Yeah. Valhalla Rising kind of guy too, even though that movie doesn't make a lot of sense either. Um, yeah, it but... felt it felt like the Northman was kind of it wanted to be more studio, and like yeah. it kind of felt like this film felt like it, it felt like there was a lot cut that could have been there. That yeah, maybe, I, I I mean I, I thought the film was quite strange and wild, but I, I could see like wanting a little bit more like strange surrealism yeah. and elements like that. Like I felt like the film really could have delved. It could have kind of kind of gone for more of that art film kind of edge, but yeah. it kind of wanted to play it a little bit more straight, maybe, which is kind of a shame because the movie is like. I don't think it made that much money. It was kind of a big yeah. box office bust. It's so too bad because there's so much to enjoy. Cool. You know, there's Willem Dafoe, obviously, and Bjork as the kind of Cirrus too, which was kind of cool. And I, I didn't recognize her at first. I was like, oh, where's Bjork? And then I'm like, oh, she was that Cirrus, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it, was, it wasn't my favorite. But, um, yeah, I've kind of been on the Scandinavian horror kick this week. So I watched uh, Hatching, too, which is a uh, Finnish film. And uh, cool. just came out, I found out that there was a kind of 8-bit video game that came out to kind of accompany this, which is kind of cool. Oh, cool. It's about this um, girl and her mother's like obsessed with social media and she's always like recording the family on social media. She wants the daughter to be a gymnast to make up for like everything that she didn't do. And the daughter um, finds this egg and the egg starts growing. The egg hatches and crazy shit starts happening. I don't want to spoil too much, uh, but it's kind of like a modern fairy tale. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty nasty. I think some of the things that happen to, and I mean the the main character, the girl, is actually really like good person, but her mother is quite, uh, quite bad. But it's all about kind of, the, it's kind of a critique of social media, too. And you never really see what the audience oh. of the social media is as well, too. So, yeah, we're checking it out. I rented it on YouTube, so that was fun. Uh, my girlfriend and I finished watching. I'm, I'm a huge Better Call Saul fan, so we finished. Uh, it was her first time watching season two, and she liked it so much that she wants to watch episode nine and 10 tonight. That's what she told me. So uh, nice. things are heating up to really fun to return to as well to just to see Jimmy Saul's transformation to um, I noticed how kind of robotic uh, uh, um, Howard is as well too. So that's kind of fun coming back to it. And finally I watched um, actually I'm, I'm about halfway through, but I thought I'd talk about it anyway, the innocence, sure. which is a Norwegian film too. So concluding my uh, kind of <laughs> unholy Trinity of Scandinavian horror films this week, um, this is kind of a really, really good film. Um, I think it's by the director, uh, the co-writer. He, what was the one that you liked, the uh, Norwegian one that you liked uh, this year? Oh, I watched uh, Joachim Trier's The Worst Person in the World. Yeah, so it was the co-writer of that film, and he did this oh, one. Cool. And totally different topic. It's about um, these kind of group of kids who live in this Norwegian uh, apartment complex, too. They find out they have uh, superhero powers, superpowers, uh, but it's actually really dark, too, and uh, uh, it's all about kind of childhood and kind of pushing boundaries to one of the kids is a psychopath too so i was warning john beforehand if you like animals maybe be wary with this one too because there's one scene where this the one of the one of the boys brutally kills a cat and it's pretty awful to watch um but the film is really good too so i mean if you can get past that i mean uh, it's all about like the the choice that these children have too and i mean it's interesting because i think the superpowers aren't really an allegory for anything too i mean they just have superpowers and it kind of asks what if too and it's beautifully shot i mean some of the best child acting i've ever seen too um really well done it's really scary too because you don't know what these children are going to be capable of and you're kind of watching it you know this beautiful norwegian woods and you're, you have this feeling of dread you know something's awful is going to happen to 
maybe one, maybe all these kids uh, or the people in their community. And I think it's it's a really powerful film. So definitely one of my favorites so far this year. But that's everything I watched. So, um, cool. yeah, obviously there's a whole slew of, of great uh, hockey movies for us to dive into tonight, too. Yeah, keep, I guess keep we the stomping Tom Connors. You yeah, stomp and Tom, good old <laughs> hockey game. Um, yeah, so, it's, uh, yeah. I guess, you know, I guess the best way for us to start is what, what do you have a favorite uh, God tier hockey movie, John? <laughs> well, I do. But before I get into it, I just want to kind of say, like, I, I mean, I find hockey movies kind of interesting to me because, I mean, they're, they're, they're sports movies. So they're kind of they fall in the same camp as uh, baseball, football, boxing movies, racing movies. But I guess the difference between like hockey films and other types of movies is that hockey films tend to be kind of very acutely aware, focused on the idea of like what it means to be Canadian. And I mean, like, a lot of American football, especially football and baseball films, have kind of this just sort of aspirational Americanization of them. It's like, you know, the underdog winning over and it's like, you know, app, warm apple pie. And it has this sort of like feeling of, you know, this is meant to represent the American spirit of like working hard and kind of arising from nothing. And I'm making, you know, fulfilling the American dream. And a lot of hockey movies are, are conversely, uh, well, except for a few, more kind of focused on the idea of like Canadian identity and what it means to be Canadian and, and different kind of... Um, it, you know, intersections and different cultures and groups within Canada. So uh, I, I always find hockey movies kind of interesting, which means you get like kind of a wide swath of, of different types of, of hockey yeah, movies. So you get kind of adversely yeah. too. I noticed with a lot of American hockey movies too, a lot of times you get kind of these working class characters and they form this sense of community through hockey too, like the Mighty Ducks trilogy. You know, you get kind of Emily Estevez's characters as kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, fuck, yeah. you know, I have to, <laughs> I have to coach these kids. And then it actually turns out to be a really good experience too. And, you know, the, the opposite hockey team is always this kind of, Goonie kind of, uh, you know, nasty. Yeah, I think maybe we could start off with that one, like the Mighty Ducks trilogy. I mean, the first film, and then D two and D three, which came out just. Mm, it's probably a few the most one of the most recognizable ones. Yeah. Yeah, and a film that I think for a lot of younger people, maybe well, not so much younger people like our age and like their thirties. Like, if you grew up as a kid in the nineties, like this was sort of what probably got you into hockey. There's a lot of hockey fans that their first experience, uh, American hockey fans rather, uh, their first experience with hockey was like kind of growing up and watching uh, the Mighty Ducks. I actually didn't know this, but uh, this movie came out before the 1993 NHL expansion. And if you know your hockey history, uh, in, the, in the 1993 expansion, there was a team awarded to Anaheim, and that team was owned by Disney. Disney named the team, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, named after this movie. I actually thought they were tied together, but um, so the early hockey team named the Mighty Ducks was named because of this movie. Eventually, Disney sold the team in, in 2006, and that team renamed to the Ducks, and now they're, they're called the Anaheim Ducks. But, I mean, this one is a, a very popular one, of course, starring as a... As Curtis mentioned, Emilio Estevez is the great Gordon Bombay, who I forgot he actually got like arrested for like drunk driving. He's kind of like a down on his luck character, as Curtis said. <laughs> and he's like, OK, for your community service, you have to coach this sort of ragtag group. Um, and him himself, he was a former hockey player who like uh, I think he like missed the goal, like the penalty shot that would have won the game. And he's kind of had this chip on his shoulder. It's very kind of American aspirational as what we we're saying. But it's got a, a great group, I think, of personalities in, on the teams like we have, of course, like Charlie Conway played by the, the great Josh. Joshua Jackson, he's probably the one who's like had the best career success, you know, since this movie, um, you know, with respect to Emilio. Um, but we've got, you know, like the great, other great performances, Adam Banks, uh, the now uh, lesser, lesser like Jesse, Jesse Smollett, who plays Terry Hall. And, uh, and of course, the great Fulton Regan, who could forget Goldberg? Actually, the actor who plays Goldberg has kind of a funny story because he, uh, for a period of time, was actually homeless recently and was like addicted to drugs. And recently, his like kind of life's turned around. He's cleaned up his act. So uh, I've, I've every so often I've kind of checked in and he appeared in the news as, 
you know, you don't, you wouldn't recognize him, but now he's sort of cleaned his life up. So it's kind of cool to see, uh, you know, someone who's beloved it by kind of young kids. Turn it's interesting too, like that that, uh, that really annoying kid too. He doesn't appear in any of the sequels. I wonder what happened to it. Is he just too fucking annoying or like maybe nobody liked him and wanted him back on the set too, but they don't even mention him in the sequels too. Was it Peter, <laughs> Peter Mark? I think his name is. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Short kid. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And the film is quite, I think D, the Mighty Ducks was an impressively successful film. I mean, it also sold well on tape, became a huge hit. Of course, they ended up making D2, D3. Uh, I think D2 is the one where they play Team Iceland with Gunnar Stahl. You know, he'll go glove side, you know. Really. And there's also, I think the later sequels also have cameos from some of like the LA Kings players like Luke Robitaille and other kind of American players. And there's also, I believe, an animated series as well, too, that I remember seeing. Yeah, on that was Family great. Or Mighty Ducks, American, yeah. the Disney Channel. Yeah, that was a big hit. With and, actual uh, I mean, ducks to day, too, yeah. Yeah. And to this day, it's still popular. I think they've also, they've kind of rebooted. They have like a kind of a newer Mighty Ducks series that's come up in recent years. And even the hockey team has started using like the the old Mighty Duck logo as sort of like the throwback logo. So there's still a lot of love for this movie. But uh, I, I think for a lot of people, like the Mighty Ducks films are, are the ones that kind of got them into them. Admittedly, like I was never really a big Mighty Ducks kid. I My sports films was pretty much just like the 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 Little Giants or the, you know, the, the Sandlot or I, I don't know, the baseball kind of so- football ones were my my go-to less so the the, the mighty ducks angels but, in uh, the end zone yeah. or oh, outfield or yeah. angels in the outfield yeah, yeah that's a great one yeah um those are some of my hits but uh i i know this one for a lot of kind of people is is sort of a a good one and and i think like it's probably be fun for some of you if you have like young children to watch it again with them um, and kind of experience that uh with them as well too um is there another film that you wanted to to mention curtis or yeah uh, yeah we'll keep di- hopping around if you like di- yeah. diving into my favorites too i think we'll sure. be good to talk about slap shot to another kind oh, of yeah. classic american <laughs> hockey movie too from 1997 fe- featuring the great uh paul newman um too and you know obviously the there's a lot of iconic kind of characters in that one too the hansen brothers these kind of goony kind of yeah. like <laughs> bat who themselves were <laughs> played by minor hockey league players. I think uh, David Hansen, Steve and Jeff Carlson. Uh, David Hansen actually had a son who ended up playing for the Leafs years, years, years ago, uh, Christian Hansen. So um, yeah. And, and I think that one's cool. It's, it's directed by George Roy Hill, who did Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid uh, and, and the sting. He's done a lot of like, he did a lot of uh, Paul Newman films. And there's a few of those kind of character actors in some of those films in this one. Um yeah, and I think this film really kind of really exemplifies that kind of era, right? Like the Broad Street Bully 70s era, where hockey became kind of popularized in the US and Canada for its violence. It was probably the most violent time of hockey. And this film kind of really satirizes that. I actually forgot, I, I kind of, I didn't watch this film. I didn't have time to rewatch it, but I forgot that this film has like this really kind of, it feels very 70s and like it's economics. It's yeah. Sort of this down on its luck town, you know, factories shutting down, industry shutting down, and this minor hockey league team is trying to keep things afloat. Of course, Paul Newman, who's in it, plays Reggie Dunlop, the player coach, and they end up, they decide, okay, we're going to embrace fighting to kind of get people yeah. on board. And it, you know, it horrifies people, but it works. They're winning and games, it re- it they're re- selling it re- out. It really yeah. makes fun of that whole hyper-masculine culture. You know, there's like the chronic masturbator yeah. who's always in the in the box too. And then, you know, he's sleeping with the woman. She's like, actually, I'm a lesbian. And it's like, it's kind of t- t- making fun of the whole kind of masculinity of, of the hockey yeah. game. Oh yeah, and one of the players, uh, he doesn't—he does like fighting, and he's like a pacifist. And I believe at the yeah. end there's a famous scene where he, he ends up doing a big strip tease. He's taking off all his clothes. Oh yeah, the game. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the writer Nancy Dowd actually based it on her the experience of her 
her uh, brother Ned Dowd, who was a minor league hockey player. I think he also played a lot of college hockey. And uh, Ned Dowd was actually kind of the inspiration that for the. I think sorry, he actually played Ogie Oglethorpe in the movie. So uh, she kind of based like his own experience and kind of the minor hockey league shit of uh, of the sixties and seventies, and kind of used that to kind of write this film. I, I think probably this is probably considered one of the most popular and critically. Um, acclaimed hockey movies interestingly when it came out it wasn't like a huge commercial hit but it just became like kind of a big sensation and it's, it's of course especially in Canada it's it's become quite popular and even to this day I think like when people think of hockey they think of like Slapshot and they think like 70s Hanson Brothers they think fighting I think for a lot of Americans this film was kind of a big touch point and kind of a, the emergence of hockey in the United States is sort of this bigger uh, sport you know kind of predating Gretzky 80s and 90s that sort of thing too and uh and and great great music in it as well too and and actually famously there was a um this film was that uh, was dubbed in Quebec but uh unlike a lot of films which are normally just done in in kind of no, no normal French um this was one of the select few films that was specifically dubbed in kind of Quebecois French so there's a lot of uh, swearing and there's actually a lot of ad-libbing in this film uh, specifically like using the like, Quebec swears and lingo and and, and and changes it actually I believe I've never seen the the French dub but from my understanding like it actually changes up some of the lines of the script a little bit and it's actually yeah. become it's become like a popular thing in its own record like there's people who uh consider kind of the Quebec dub of Slapshot to be kind of like its own film so Can it's sort of like a famous piece of a <laughs> of a dub yeah um and there's some like there's some quotes in that that come from the from the french dub that have kind of um they're still popular in kind of quebecois culture of of kind of insults and slangs and, and stuff like that so it's uh, kind of it's kind of fun, fun to see, see him in a, another kind of well i mean he, he was in cool hand look too i guess but it's kind of fun to see paul newman in like a hockey comedy too you know yeah he's good this, in it too this, he's this actually is really good in it this one's probably my favorite uh, of the hockey movies i would say I really like yeah. this one a lot too. They also made a few sequels in like the 2000s, but I oh, think Stephen Baldwin, sort of like yeah, beating a dead, yeah, yeah, Stephen Baldwin <laughs> beating a dead horse. They're like, all right, direct a DVD for Canadians. The, they're a giant tiger. They see it the show permanently like, you know. stoned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's called but, breaking uh, breaking the ice? Yeah, it's a brand new game yeah, with brand new rules. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I also want to give a shout out to the uh, the Thirty for Thirty documentary series by ESPN, um, which they they started off as sort of in, in time for the thirtieth anniversary of ESPN. They did a series of thirty documentaries about different sports and culture topics, and they kept the kind of series going under the Thirty for Thirty label, and they've done plenty of episodes but they've done a few episodes on hockey as well too um one of the ones i wanted to mention was a uh, king's ransom from the first series uh directed by the great peter documentarian peter berg uh which is specifically about the uh the 1988 gretzky trade from los angeles uh, for those of you who don't know your hockey uh wayne gretzky considered to be the greatest player of all time still to this day a uh, famous canadian hockey player uh played was drafted in the wha and then they moved to the nhl uh the edmonton oilers um famously won I think four Stanley Cups in the 80s. Uh, but by 1988, uh, Peter Pocklington, the owner of the franchise, was short on cash and running into financial strains. And, and to be fair, Gretzky had his own kind of aspirations. I don't remember the documentary really talk, touching on this, but I think himself, he was kind of seeking beyond Edmonton and becoming more of like a popular figure in the United States. And um, certainly like this is chronicles that famous trade where he was traded to Los Angeles, who had been a, a, a team for over a decade you know, had some star players, but wasn't really like a popular sellout team. Um, 
but this was a very probably considered to be one of the most consequential kind of hockey trades in in, in history. Um, Edmonton, uh, to their credit, did win a Stanley Cup a few years later. They still had a very good team, but this really kind of marked the, the end of kind of the Oilers' run of excellence and would kind of preclude a lot of financial issues that would kind of come in the 90s. You know, the 90s in Canada was a time where our dollar was very low. Canada was in the period of kind of austerity government under, you know, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, the finance minister paying off our debt. And so uh, Canadian hockey teams really struggled in the nineties. The Ottawa senators, my home team um, almost moved um, Edmonton almost moved. Even I remember hearing that like Montreal was almost like on the verge of like financial, you know, uh, tough wow. times, but it was a very kind of bad financial time in Canada for sports. And well, I think that's uh, what, is that when the, kind of is that when the, that, the Nordiques you know? and the jets went, went out. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah. They both moved uh, during this time, you know, especially bad for the Nordiques because they moved in the year later, won the Stanley Cup in Colorado. So it really was kind of a, a kick in the shins for them. Um, but, you know, con- you know, while this was sort of a considered a terrible time for Edmonton and Canada, this was a huge boom to L.A. and to American hockey in general. I mean, Gretzky became kind of overnight like a household hockey name, a household name in the United States would be featured in video games, cereal, cartoons, you know, the all stars with him and Michael Jordan and, uh, and everyone else, you know. Gretzky in LA was a huge um, part of kind of marketing the sport in the United States. You don't get the Arizona Coyotes. You don't get the, uh, the, the Vegas Golden Knights, if not for Wayne Gretzky and how he popularized hockey in the United States in the nineties. And that kind of that led to that whole wave of expansion in California and the Sun Belt. And I know a lot of Canadians kind of say, you know, did, did all that work out? Well, I think some of them did. I mean, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're on the verge of a few wins away from repeating and going to the cup finals and they sell out. So uh, I think in some, in some regards, um, over the grand scheme of things, it has been quite successful. And, you know, Austin Matthews, who's the, the star Leafs player, born and raised in Arizona. So it's sort of, um, I think a lot of this sort of Americanization of the sport, you know, dates to sort of Gretzky and his trade. So kind of a very constant. All goes back they've to Gretzky. Gretz, the they, one yeah, comes from the one. <laughs> they've done other uh, documentaries as well, too. I didn't mention it, but there's one on, I think, John Spanos, who was the, the one-time owner of the New York Islanders. He was famous, like a scam artist. Like he wasn't actually like a, a billionaire and he kind of like scammed his way to owning a team very fascinating story but uh i would recommend that one too and another any other thing else you want to mention uh curtis and you're in um yeah i just uh um i i really liked the one uh i well i it wasn't my favorite but i really liked the book that it was based on indian horse by richard wagamisi mm-hmm. too i watched that one in theaters when it came out actually i thought the film was okay too it did too, too many jump cuts too but this is kind of interesting it's more of an indigenous perspective and it's about a foot uh ice hockey team too um you know the 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 main character grows up in a residential school obviously quite a traumatic upbringing and sexually and physically abused and then he kind of has to deal with it when he's an adult too i think the film could have done more to deal to look at you know his kind of transformation as as he becomes an adult and overcomes addiction but um you know it's kind of uh it's nice it's nice to get that perspective too and obviously one one for me is um kind of a childhood favorite it's not a good movie but i liked uh, mvp most valuable primate to growing up too so with the uh, kevin zegers pretty canadian too it's a bit of monkey <laughs> chimpanzee who joins the hockey team i mean <laughs> you have to watch it to see it it's they made ridiculous. other ones too there was like mxp and yeah like, like most vertical it was kind primate. of like an airbud <laughs> variant it was like a monkey who does sports too yeah it was like but kind of cool a about, yeah. canadian airbud i guess <laughs> yeah it's true it's kind of cool about indian horse too as you mentioned because like I, I feel like the thing with a lot of hockey movies is they tend to be very white, very kind of our own perception of Canada circa like 1998. And it's sort of like, it's kind of cool to see more hockey movies kind of 
you know, expanding it out, like in the Indian horse's case, looking at kind of hockey from the, you know, the perspective yeah. of the station. So it's, or as know, a means to kind of deal with trauma or addiction or whatever the case may be to, yeah. um, you know, what it re- represents for these people to be on kind of a white centric lens. <laughs> so yeah, <kinda> cool. exactly. <laughs> what yeah, else did you, I, you know, speak? Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, speaking from like a white centric lens, that kind of leads me to uh, a really terrible film I watched specifically <laughs> for today was uh, I watched uh, the 2010 release score a hockey musical, which was a, a popular oh, no. advertised film on the CBC. It was released in Canada. I don't think it, I don't know if it got released in the United States um, stars um, Noah Reed, who actually has kind of become a little bit of a celebrity. I mean, he was a former child voice actor, you know, famously he was the voice of Franklin, the turtle. He was in a lot of kind of popular Canadian cartoons, but um, in recent years, he's kind of best known for his role as Patrick on Schitt's Creek, which won, you know, tons of Emmys when it's last season. So he's kind of now a, a popular figure, but he's actually kind of good in this movie. It's sort of a little bit about this, um, character played by Noah Reed who's a sort of like um, he lives with his parents they're I think he's from Brampton and they're kind of like typical like liberal granola parents they think hockey is for barbaric <laughs> and he's a really good he plays shitty hockey he's a really good player but he's not he's more of a sc- scholar he's not into it he's a pacifist and he gets discovered by uh, uh, this man Stephen Mc- played by Stephen McCaddy who's also in another movie I'm going to talk about and he kind of gets uh, tagged to be in this sort of uh join this like hockey team and he ends up kind of working his way up and becoming successful and uh you know the the kind of the the thing is this is a musical so there's a bunch of songs um ally mcdonald plays this sort of like romantic crush love interest and they have kind of like a fun dynamic and it's kind of puzzling because i I didn't realize it but olivia newton john's in this playing his mom i don't even think she has a song in the movie which like if you're gonna cast olivia newton john why not give her like a main song like i don't know she's she's objectively (laughs) the best singer in this and that's sort of the big problem this movie well one of two problems um the the music and songs are horrendous like there's basically no actual catchy songs it's sort of like talking in the form of a song and it's like they it just doesn't it's not really a song it's just they're kind of giving you exposition over like a song tune and and it's terrible and uh um it's also like extremely kind of it has a kind of you know my my name is joe and i am canadian there's that sort of late (laughs) 90s early 2000s era of like canadian as of like Royal Air Fire said 22 minutes, which is a kind of very white, very Toronto focused, very Anglo. Um, <laughs> well, there's there's no rest movie, of Canada. There's only Toronto. <laughs> yeah. And the movie kind of has like this, it, it's, it kind of contrasts him kind of versus the kind of machismo hockey dynamic he's involved in, but it, it doesn't really like kind of just sort of embraces it. Like it's sort of like he, he ends up, I mean, he doesn't really become that way, but it's sort of like, it doesn't really like actually make any kind of commentary on that, which is weird because the whole movie is about hockey and, and it's role in Canada. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't, it's just sort of dumb. Like it's the music's bad and the plot is just terrible. Yeah, it's hard miss folks. Really don't, don't watch that one. <laughs> um, it was a waste of time for me personally, but if you really love hockey, if you really love your, you know, th- it opens up with like an O Canada. I was like, I was groaning. I was just, I was already starting to zone <laughs> out, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. It was kind of weird. I'm like, this is like the whitest Brampton crowd ever. Like, it's like we're in Brampton. And I don't see a single like person of color. I'm like, you yeah, could not make like, this. If you, it, yeah, it's weird to think of them making this movie in like 2022 with Brampton and like having this cast. I don't think it would hit as well, to be honest. It's like the Brampton you did, the Brampton you don't want to see. <laughs> but um, I was I was happy to see uh, you had Red Army on there too, which is a really good documentary too. Yeah. And this this is a documentary that looks at the relationship between I think it's the uh, U.S. and Russia in the Soviet Russia. Well, it's, in the 80s. it's specifically the Soviet Union team and, and Canada's yeah. team. So Canada's sort of team, yeah. Most, a little bit on North America too, with like the Miracle on Ice and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a really good kind of like a, yeah, it, it's cool too because it, it it talks to like a, a Slava Fatisov, Tretiak, and a lot of like the famous kind of 
um, Soviet era players, some of them who are, you know, some of them passed away, but a lot of them are still alive. And even Chronicles kind of, as you were saying, like the dynamic between the Soviet Union and, and sort of North American hockey um, and the various kind of tournaments, you know, sports is kind of like a, a proxy war for like the Cold War, you know, fam- you know, Canadians always talk up like the the Summit Series is like an important moment in like, Canadian history. Uh, a lot of that is a little bit of revisionist history, to be honest, but um, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, history is, you know, is told by the people who you know won it and experienced it and that's sort of how it relates to sports too and and how kind of sports and politics would come into conflict with, with hockey as sort of a proxy for this sort of cold mm. war anxiety they also kind of chronicle in the 90s when the um, berlin wall fell in that two period of time when the kind of uh, players from the east block were starting to kind of uh, defect from their teams and their countries and move to canada like famously the 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 red wings in the 80s were one of the first teams that did that and they built sort of the famous russian five of uh, fetisov of uh of sergey fedorov of konstantinov and like a lot of uh, other uh, russian players that kind of built this sort of you know ward you know stanley cup winning team and they were kind of like the the heart and soul of that team so um yeah it kind of works as like sort of an interesting kind of history documentary kind of using hockey and i think a lot of americans aren't really like as well versed in like the summit series or like rendezvous 80 set or canada cups and and some of those moments they probably don't know a lot of those very well well, they of course know Miracle on Ice, which is also a hockey movie. Herb Brooks, yeah, um, yeah, with Herb Brooks. Kurt Russell is Herb Brooks. You know, just oh, he's gotta, great. Uh, he's, he's he's born to be, you know. Yeah, man, I almost said, you gotta give me an inch, but that's uh, that's Al Pacino, and uh, that's, <laughs> that's a very similar movie, though. You know, gotta give me one. What does Herb Brooks say? He's like, they're gonna beat the shit out of you. I don't know. I can't remember. What he it's, says, oh, it's, but, it's like uh, the one on. It's like the, the the name on your shirt is like I forget what it is. It's like that's who you are on the ice. It's like. I know he's all these motivational speeches that nobody can yeah. remember, but they're always Herb good. Brooks when you hear was, them. Yeah, Herb Brooks was like a famous sort of like Minnesotan like college uh, <laughs> hockey coach. He also coached Anshel a little bit with, uh, I think, Rangers and, and the Penguins. But, you know, he was a famous international coach, too, and he was kind of well known for his sort of like Brooksisms, as they call it. And it sort of chronicles the 1980 Olympics where the ragtag U.S. team made up of, of course, mostly young college age players played the you know probably the one of the strongest ever red army teams and and shockingly won over them and uh, although people forget people think oh they won the gold medal over soviet union they actually they beat the soviet union and then beat finland to win the gold medal so that's sort of a little catch but it kind of chronicles mostly them versus the soviet union and kind of this one's a little bit more american i mean it was a disney movie released in the u.s in 2004 uh just after uh herb brooks died he passed away sort of shortly before this came out which kind of sucks i mean i kind of if i was him i would have wanted to live long enough to see this movie come out all about me and glorifying me me being played by kurt russell and all that but uh yeah i, I think uh, this this film and the, the miracle on ice is sort of a more popular kind of american phenomenon i think we kind of have our summit series and america has their miracle on ice and um, it's more like kind of that american inspirational you know reg you know you know, blue collar regs to riches beating over, you know, the elite educated and it's, you know, it fits into that kind of Americanization, but it's, um, it's a, it's a pretty satisfying hockey movie, I'd say for sure. One that I just thought of too, that we, we we didn't mention the list was, uh, you probably read it too. It's a very kind of iconic piece of Canadian literature is, um, Roche Carrier's, uh, the hockey sweater, uh, too. So that's a fun, that's been numerously adapted. So I didn't really have a favorite adaptation like the anime one, but, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's about this, uh, boy, and he's growing up in uh, Quebec um, in the t- in 20th century. And his mother, uh, he's a huge uh, Canadiens fan. And his mother buys him uh, <laughs> a Toronto Maple Leafs sweater from the Sears catalog. And he's embarrassed to wear it. And he like prays that the moss will eat the, 
the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I had fun watching that. My brother Avery is a huge hockey fan, so uh, that's always fun. And it's kind of fun because you get that Quebec accent when he reads it too. He, I did not want to wear my my <laughs> uh, Toronto Maple Leaf sweater. You know, <laughs> it's great. So that's a that's a fun one too. Yeah, and I think that that kind of makes for a good segue into probably my favorite hockey movie. Um, the Rocket, which came out in 2005. It's a, yeah, it's a biopic about Maurice, the Rocket Richard. Um, it kind of focuses mostly on kind of his early years uh, up to joining the team. And it, it kind of ends um, at the uh, the famous Richard riot, which would end, end his 1955 season. Uh, but when he came back to the team, he promised that he would come back and win the Stanley Cup. He did. And they won a lot. They won a record five straight Stanley Cups, a record which is yet to be beaten. I think if the Oilers didn't score that own goal in 86, they probably would have tied it, my take. But um, the Canadians would win five straight Stanley Cup, a feat that has yet to have been uh, replicated. And, uh, you know, the Rocky Richard is considered to be one of the all-time greatest goal scorers in, in hockey history, yeah. certainly during his time. Him in the, the pocket 50s. rocket, yeah. Yeah, he retired in 1960, and I think, it, you know, Rocket Richard was considered to be, frankly, probably the best hockey player of all time until probably like a decade after his retirement, we saw Gordie Howe emerge, and then, of course, a few years later was Wayne Gretzky. So, But he's still considered to this day one of the best goal scorers. I still think he's like a top 15 goal scorer of all time um, during an era when, you know, people were throwing up like 60 goals a season or anything like that, and the sport was a lot different. But, you know, uh, the Rocket Richard became this huge sensation. You know, he was this um, – and this was a different time, time of – hockey you know now we have like the amateur drafts where players get drafted from all over the world but during the early 20th century um, it was regional so you know Montreal was the Quebec team so they had uh, and this was after you know the folding of like the Montreal Maroons and pre uh, pre WHA Quebec team so Montreal had all of the you know Quebec base that they could take players from and so um, you know the Rocky Richard was a young player who joined the team and became this huge superstar sensation and you know was this kind of quiet player but you know wowed people with his skill and um, um, the film kind of focuses on this sort of ending climax during this big fight, which happened. So uh, the Richard got in this big brawl and punched out a, a linesman by accident and then <laughs> was suspended for the rest of the season. F- fans claim that this was because the uh, commissioner of hockey, Clarence Campbell, was an Anglo and he was French. This was sort of a, a period of time when kind of the beginning of heating of kind of anti-Anglo sentiment in Quebec, you know, Quebecers feeling like kind of second class citizens, uh, Francophones feeling like second class citizens in their own country. And um, uh, he was um, this brawl happened on March 13th on, on, on St. Patrick's Day. Um, after the suspension, Clarence Campbell appeared at a game and this incited like a huge riot, which spilled out of the forum into the city proper. And I think there was roughly like something like hundreds of arrests and injuries. And it became a, I, I think there's a little bit of kind of, again, revisionist history about this because this became like a huge kind of popular moment in kind of Canadian, especially in Quebec history. And people have kind of looked on this you know, in the 20th century and kind of viewed this as sort of the moment when kind of nationalism really kind of blew up in Quebec. And I think some people, I would kind of say it too, it's a little bit revisionist, especially because a lot of it is because if you know a little bit of like Quebec history, like, you know, the Rocket Richard, his retirement kind of became a little bit of like a celebrity in Quebec. He was like, you know, buy my cereal, buy this and that. He was kind of like a commercial presence. There's endless amounts of stuff that he was on commercials for in the 70s and 80s um, and even leading up to like kind of his later years before his death in 2000. So. Uh, but this is a, it's a great film though it has a great cast of uh, Roy Dupuis Canadian actor who plays uh, Rocket Richard uh, Stephen McHattie who I mentioned was in Score a hockey musical he plays the great Dick Irvin and uh, there's also notably a lot of NHL at the time active now retired players uh, in acting roles so we have Mike Ricci as Elmer Locke uh, famously uh, 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 Vincent Lecavier as Jean Beliveau 
uh, Ian Lapierre is uh, uh, Bernie, Boom Boom, Jeffrey on, uh, Pascal <laughs> Dupuis is Milt Schmidt on the Bruins, uh, Stefan Quintal is Dollard St. Laurent, uh, Philip Sauvé is Jim Henry, and probably famously Sean Avery, the irreverent hockey player Sean Avery, is Bob Dill, who famously in this movie is trying to pick a fight with Roy Dupuis' rocket. He's like, come on, you fucking Frenchie, like hit me. And he turns around and punches him right in the face. And I remember this came out in, in, in 2005. I think it got full release in Canada in 2007. And, you know, at the time, Sean Avery was one of the most hated players in the game. So it was a lot <laughs> of fun seeing him get punched. And I remember people being hyped for that. But yeah, this um actually was a huge kind of critical hit in Canada. It um, At the Genie Awards, it won a bunch of awards for like lead actor, lead actress. It was also nominated for Best Film, but it lost to um uh bon cop bad cop so another you know classic uh canadian film beat it out but uh yeah this film i would say is probably in the upper echelon of like hockey movies it's a, it's a very canadian film focusing on kind of the mid-20th century really looking at kind of quebec francophones versus um anglos i mean it's most it's it's pretty much a, a francophone quebec film it's mostly i think filmed in mostly french except when it's like dick irving speaking in english and kind of shows the kind of tensions and growing tensions between uh, francophones and anglophones but um, it's a little kind of sappy and corny but it, I, I as a, someone who was a big hockey fan and this came out when I was in high school like I remember this was on the movie channel like every day like when it came out I remember watching this a bunch so I really dug this film and this helped me really kind of get more into hockey history and learning a little bit more about it too yeah I mean, I mean I'm so excited too to I can't wait for them uh, to do a biopic of uh, Lanny McDonald one of my favorite hockey players to the Big bushy red beard too, so I'm hoping. Oh, they should, yeah. <laughs> Good old Lanny, yeah, machine gun Lanny. What else and, we got? We got um, we got uh, the goon, and I think um, yeah, the one with yeah, uh, so Keanu Reeves too. Yeah, I haven't even seen Goon, but I know that's like a massively popular one. Now. I tried I think, watching like, that one goon... on the on the airplane. I didn't like that one very much, but yeah, I think I... it's. Uh... Yeah, written by uh, Jay Baruchel. You know, Jay Baruchel, he's like a pretty popular house fan. He's yeah, uh, popular mechanics, mechanics for kids. Yeah, shout out. But uh, And he also co-wrote it with Evan Goldman, you know, behind Superbad and all those other films. Um, stars uh, Liev Schreiber, uh, Sean William Scott, you know, Stifler playing the role in this uh I almost called him Goon, but his name is Doug Glatz. <laughs> He's sort of like um, this guy who ends up becoming an enforcer from a minor hockey league team. This movie became, it, it didn't really do well at the box office, but it became a huge hit on streaming. And a lot of hockey guys really love this film because they think it really kind of captures kind of what it means to be a hockey player. Kind of in the same spirit as Slapshot. Slap like Slapshot, I think a lot of men, a lot of hockey guys like Slapshot because I feel like it really captures what it means to sort of be a kind of minor leaguer hockey player. And I, it, Goon is the same way. I haven't seen the film myself, but I, there's so many quotes and lines like I know there's like a guy who's like looking for Percocets and stuff. And if you know anything about hockey, painkillers and that sort of thing, it's it's sort of looking at the kind of minor league culture and became a big hit. There's also, there was a sequel that came out in, in 2017 because it was such like a big uh, hit. And I think it's got a few kind of uh, hockey guys starring in it as well too. But uh, another one, of course, another famous kind of 80s hockey movie that a lot of people probably remember that got them into it was uh, Young Blood, which uh, was a film starring some of the Brat Pack. We have Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, and young Keanu Reeves is in it too. It's about uh, Rob Plow plays this young kind of farmhand kid from northern New York who um, has skill to play hockey and decides he wants to become a hockey player. So he moves up to Ontario. He's playing for a fictional OHL team. I believe it's in Hamilton and um, kind of chronicles his success. And uh, there's also cameos from hockey alumni, the active players at the time, like uh, Peter Zezel and of the Leafs and, and Steve Thomas, I think at the time Canucks and then later Leafs too. So uh, pretty fun, kind of considered like a little bit of 80s uh, kind 
of fun hockey hockey film. I mean, people love their like kind of Brad Pack era, like films from like uh, Estevez and Rob Lowe and Tom Cruise and all that. So it's sort of that same type of kind of mode. So that one, I, I remember I wasn't really that into it as a kid, but I remember that was one that would come up on, again, like the local movie channel or whatever, City TV, that would be a frequent one. So um, I remember really enjoying that one a bit, even though it wasn't like my, my main go-to. Another one I watched for this podcast, uh, a popular documentary that came out just a, a few years ago, it's called Ice Guardians, which uh, is a documentary interviewing uh, a, quite a large roster of, of famous hockey enforcers, you know, Gino Ojik, uh, Bob Probert. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of enforcers, Brian McGrath's in this, like pretty much uh, there's like a who's who of still alive enforcers from like the 80s through to recent years. And, you know, talking about kind of um, there's a lot of topics and this is almost a little bit two scatter shot but it talks about kind of you know fans reactions to them enforcers in hockey what they think about them they interview like a a bunch of fans at like a san diego gulls game it's sort of like the setting for this film and um talks about kind of the history of fighting and the game day habits of what enforce what it means to be an enforcer like growing up you know playing hockey how you became an enforcer and and what you go through and the emotions involved in hockey and, and fighting um it also touches on the summer, I believe it was in 2008, which saw the uh, deaths, or maybe it was 09, saw the deaths, or, or I'm forgetting which year it is specifically, but there was a summer that saw the deaths of three hockey enforcers, uh, B- Wade Belak, Rick Rippon, and uh, Derek Bogard, who all died, and the film kind of touches a little bit on that, and also a little bit on concussions. Um, I, I, I like the film, but I did there was a little bit that kind of troubled me with it because I think, you know, it's a film about fighting and hockey and, you know, fighting has always been a very controversial part of the sport. It's one of the things that makes hockey known is that it's, you know, considered to be one of the most brutal and violent of the, the big four sports, even, you know, with something like football. Uh, but the film, I, I, it's not being necessarily totally pro fighting, but it definitely leans on the side of like, well, fighting has its place and, you know, we're here to fight so that other guys don't, you know, hit each other. And, and they, they talk about how like in European leagues, there's no fighting, but there's more cheap shots. Really kind of hard to quantify this stuff. And I was kind of like, uh, that film could probably like have a little bit more of a critical look at kind of like toxic masculinity. And I don't know, there's something to be there, especially it's kind of a little bit tone deaf because they spend a little bit of time talking about um, concussions and they interview some doctors and they say, well, you know, there's no real link to fighting concussions. You know, players get hit all the time and it causes concussions. And and I'm like, well, I yeah, but enforcers play like three minutes a game and, and don't get the most defensive coverage. I, I still don't think getting punched in the head is conductive to, uh, yeah. you know, sound well, brain health. And, you know, we get really bad quotes from like, uh, what's his name? Like uh, uh, some Pierre, hockey guys. Pierre Maguire, yeah. Pierre Maguire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like uh, Jeff Merrick's in this giving some really dumb quotes that have aged terribly. I'm like, what, what are you doing? But uh, it was okay. Like, I, it was kind of cool to have like a really kind of really raw, honest look from these guys themselves. And you hear from their spouses too, talking about what they go through, the emotions, the anxieties involved, how it affects their body. And it's it's really, you know, you feel strongly for these guys, but at the same time, I, I don't know if the film really makes a, a strong case for fighting within the sport. It's kind of just like, this is part of the sport and, you know, it is what it is. It does kind of acknowledge that fighting is really kind of dying out. There really isn't enforcers anymore in hockey. Um, the guys who you know, lead the league in penalty minutes now would have not even sniffed it, you know, even like 10 years ago. So the, most teams don't even have guys who are specifically fighters anymore. There's no Marty McSorley's to today's Wayne Gretzky's or anything like that. So it's a, it's, it's a little interesting in that way. And, and Jay Baruchel makes appearances to kind of give his cringy interviews where he's like, if you don't like fighting, you don't like hockey, you're not a man. I'm like, all right, well, settle down, <laughs> man. Like chill Control out. Control yourself. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it, but it was it was kind of a bit too broad scattershot. But if you're really into fight, if you're if you're a hockey player, you like fighting, you, you kind of want to learn more about what it means to be like an enforcer in hockey, check it out. I know there's also a book called The Code, which is written about sort of the the unofficial unspoken code in hockey around fighting. And and that sort of I think would work as a kind of a good companion piece to this because it's sort of dealing with the same uh, same subject matter. I don't know if I have any more hockey movies to talk about. I mean, there's so many out there. Um, there's some movies that have kind of hockey mention. Like you can argue like Happy Gilmore has like hockey as part yeah. of it because like <laughs> this character was like a hockey player and he's like a hockey stick, but I wouldn't call it a hockey movie myself. And there's a lot of other documentaries as well too uh, that would probably be worth checking out. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be more hockey movies to come. Yeah. It I, is kind I, of interesting. But yeah, I think what I was going to say is it's it's very exciting for the hockey movies to come because it's always been this kind of predominantly white masculine yeah. kind of hockey movie. And it'll be interesting. I would love to see more hockey films about women or like with women as the you know in the narrative or like people of color and stuff too i think that'd be really yeah, exciting communities. yeah because yeah, you know think about Bram- like Bram- the, brampton yeah. today you know like it's not it's yeah and like the rise of like punjabi like uh, i can't remember his name but uh mr singh the the man who's uh yeah. the hockey spokesperson for hockey in canada for the he now does the english broadcast too but started off as like the punjabi broadcaster and you know the his sort of success and rise and kind of the emergence of you know hockey isn't just anglos and, and francophones there's also you know people of various other cultures who have come to the city and you know toronto is a and the gta area is incredibly diverse so there's there's more stories to be told there and i'm I, you know i'm i i grew up in it and maybe that's why but i'm so sick of the like molson canadian i am canadian you know 20 rick mercer era of like what it means to be canadian and i think you know they are you know it was already kind of anachronistic when it was first coming out and, you know, looking back on it now, it feels like dinosaur era. Like I, I enjoy the aesthetics of it and the humor and the history, but um, yeah, I find it. And now it's, it comes across a little bit um, strange. And I, yes, as you mentioned, yeah. kind of looking forward to getting more, yeah. more out of it. Yeah. I would say if anyone out there, if you have a hockey movie, you like uh, let us know, like, you know, send us a message, a seat struck, I think it's Street Struck Podcast at gmail.com or email. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, you can always, or just contact Street Struck on uh, Instagram and you can just like let us know that way. Or if you know us individually, you could just send us a message. Yeah, way, track know, us down. <laughs> well, we've got yeah, excited. I, I mean, we've got some exciting stuff lined up for next week too. So yeah, we're going to yeah. go back to uh, John Carpenter's, our John Carpenter watch series with the uh, yeah. They Live. It's on, I just looked, it's on Netflix too. So if you're, if you're, you know, short for cash, yes. you, it's on Netflix. So, it's always good. Sure, for cash, you just got to pay twenty bucks a month if you want the four K or whatever it is. You can, you can, you can watch it for five bucks a month, but it's like potato resolution or whatever. You know, come yeah. on, Netflix, stop nickel diming us, damn it. But uh, yeah, that's coming up, and uh, I think we're going to be having more stuff soon. As as Curtis mentioned, we're going to be doing an episode on video nasty, so we're going to be probably talking, probably just spending some time talking a little bit about the history of it. There's a good documentary I want to watch about it on Shut, or I think on Arrow, talking about video nasty. So I think it's a couple. I think it's like three or four. I mean, how many goddamn documentaries about video nasties are there but i'll watch a few of them if i've got time and uh and we're going to have some more um personal canon film stuff coming out um i want to talk about west side Story, so that might be coming up sometime in the next who knows few weeks or so whenever we have time um anything else you want to plug curtis uh before we no, uh, I, I, I think quint's gonna join us for next week too i'm gonna have one i'm thinking of looking at we all know peter jackson's lord of the rings trilogy but i'm gonna go a little bit back in time to to absolute splatterfest comedy uh dead alive i think that's gonna be my nice. te- next pick so stay tuned it's gonna be a lot of fun and this is zombie baby too and i mean don't ask but <laughs> just watch it <laughs> sounds good well anyways folks keep your sticks on the ice we'll see you again uh, next yeah, week stay out of the penalty stay out of the penalty box <laughs> see you next time <laughs>